0: The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Ukraine's war with Russia has been heating up in early 2020, a slog going on six years north of Ukraine. Belarus has enjoyed a peaceful post-Soviet existence, but a growing dissonance between Minsk and Moscow could alter that tranquil landscape. Joining The Crisis Next Door to talk about that fraying relationship between Belarus and Russia is Jeff Mankoff, Deputy Director and Senior Fellow with the Russia and Eurasia Program for the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Jeff, it's good to have you back on The Crisis Next Door.
1: Sure, thanks for having me.
0: You recently wrote a piece in Foreign Affairs titled, Will Belarus Be the Next Ukraine? I recall when Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko and Russia's Vladimir Putin seemed to get along famously to authoritarian leaders in alliance against the West. What's happened to their relationship?
1: Well, it was always more complicated than that. Um, as much as the political systems in, in Russia and Belarus both uh, fall more on the authoritarian side, um, obviously these are two countries with... Uh, Somewhat different roles in the world. I mean, one is a, a very large country that has, uh, I guess, great power aspirations, and the other is a relatively small um, Eastern European state that is trying to uh, carve out a, an identity for itself after being incorporated in the Soviet Union and before that, the Russian Empire, and you know, really um, having a. a a very tenuous uh, existence historically. So I I think that aspect has always been uh, in the background, you know, even when uh, Lukashenko and and Putin have uh, had a more cooperative relationship. At the same time, you know, the the Belarusians in particular would like to have better relations with the West, um, in part because that would insulate them to some degree from Russian um, pressure, Russian influence, but the very tightly controlled authoritarian political system in Belarus has made that harder. Um, in the past, they've tried uh, at various times to pursue political and trade cooperation with the EU, but it's always run into to trouble over this issue of, of Belarus's authoritarian uh, politics. So what's changed I think is that um well I mean it's a couple of things. One is that uh since the crisis in Ukraine began, uh Russia has been under sanctions and has imposed its own counter sanctions against uh the West. Um Belarus has been a, a very reluctant participant in that entire process because it doesn't want to Uh, find itself trapped in in Russia's economic orbit even more than it already is. Um, And so the Belarusians have been um, undertaking various maneuvers to try and uh, skirt the, particularly the Russian counter-sanctions. So they've, uh, you know, one of the things I talked about in in my foreign affairs piece was the the relabeling of goods. So when Russia banned the import of European uh, foodstuffs uh, in retaliation for the sanctions, uh, Belarus would start importing them from Europe relabel them as, as made in Belarus and then sell them on in, in Russia, be, um, which is, along with Belarus, a member of the Eurasian Economic Union. So the most famous example of this is salmon. Um, for a while in Russia, you would see salmon uh, with the label made in Belarus, which, if you look at a map, is kind of funny because Belarus is a landlocked country. Um, But that's, you know, that was done specifically to evade the sanctions. And, you know, because of that, um, Russia, um, I think, grew increasingly frustrated with Lukashenko, with Belarus, which it had been subsidizing um, through uh, oil sales, through subsidized oil sales and and direct subsidies for many, many years. Um, And so on the Russian side, I think there was a bigger push to... Uh, use Belarus's Belarus's dependence on those subsidies as a means to force Lukashenko and Minsk to accept a greater degree of of both economic and political integration, uh, with Russia, which is not something that either Lukashenko or the Belarusian, um, population as as a whole, you know, particularly (laughs) wants. The second thing that changed, uh, of course, is more on the military security side, which is this deepening standoff uh, at the center of Europe, which is also related to uh, the conflict in Ukraine. Um, And here, (laughs) Belarus occupies a kind of anomalous position because it's nominally tied to Russia through uh, its membership in the Collective Security Treaty Organization, the CSTO but um it doesn't it doesn't have Russian troops on its territory uh it has uh rather reluctantly participated in joint military exercises uh with Russia that are you know, about responding to deterring, or you know depending on your interpretation um, <clears throat> an attack from the west but Belarus doesn't want to get dragged into that confrontation. it would be on the front lines of any uh military conflict between Russia and NATO. So it, it's tried to stay out of that confrontation as much as possible. But again, <clears throat> with uh, tensions in, in Europe uh, growing, uh, Russia's has less and less patience for this kind of, of tightrope walking act that, that Lukashenko has adopted. Um, and so again, I think has been using this uh, economic dependence that Belarus has to try and um, extract political concessions and and security concessions, um, but uh, has run into various obstacles.
0: Outside of the obvious positioning of Belarus between Russia and NATO, why is Moscow so bent on integration? Are there stronger cultural and historical ties at play here?
1: Yeah, that's the other big piece of it, right? So if you think back to the Ukraine conflict, when it started, um, <clears throat> Putin and, and other Russian uh, elites talked about Russians and Ukrainians being one people, you know, Putin said this in his uh, speech to the to the Parliament announcing the annexation of Crimea, uh, Russians and Ukrainians are, are one people. Now, of course, most Ukrainians don't believe that, but a large number of Russians do. Um, and that belief in a common identity and, and common history, which there is a lot of common history um, provided a justification, and it made sort of what happened to Ukraine um, more politically and emotionally significant uh inside Russia than was the case with you know many other countries in the former Soviet union um, There's a common history going back to the middle ages um, the languages are similar uh a lot of people in Ukraine speak Russian as their first language and even the ones who speak Ukrainian, there's a there's a lot of um of uh overlap you take all of that and increase it or I was going to say double it but maybe not quite double it but you certainly increase it when you're talking about russia and belarus um because um the histories are even more tightly entwined uh you know, there's a period in the in the early modern era where there was um you know something like a Ukrainian state that was independent. Um again after uh World War One and, and during World War Two there were uh something like Ukrainian states. So there's there's a history of of Ukraine existing um apart from Russia. Um, with belarus there 's much less of that there 's a brief period at the end of World War One where there was a a Belarusian republic that was um a protectorate of the german army um but it only lasted for about a year um and that 's really yeah that 's really the only um example of a of something like a Belarusian nation state um and so the the historical roots uh Of nationalism in Belarus aren't as fully developed as they are uh, in Ukraine. Um, So it's easier for people like Putin or various other Russian imperial nationalists to see Belarus uh, as part of the Russian patrimony, if you will. Um, And uh, Lukashenko, in in some ways, uh, contributes to that, because he's been a uh, a sort of anti-nationalist ruler of, of Belarus. Um, you know, he mostly speaks Russian rather than Belarusian. Uh, he's cracked down on teaching and, and use of, of the Belarusian language. Um, he's um, he banned the the flag that uh, Belarus adopted when it became independent, which was based on the one that was used uh, after World War One, and he adopted another one that looks more like the the Soviet Belarusian flag. So you know in in, in some ways Lukashenko is a living embodiment of this you know uh, rejection of the narrative uh that Belarus is and Belarusians are a separate nation uh with um you know, a history and an identity and a a culture that's distinct from that of Russia. Uh, Now that's a view that's not necessarily shared across all swaths of Belarusian society um, but it's one that that Lukashenko and and the the Belarusian government uh, for the last 25 years since he's been in control um, has uh, largely adopted. And again, I think that contributes to the belief of people like Putin uh, and those around him that uh, Belarus even more than Ukraine, uh, is legitimately or historically, uh, you know, part of this this larger Russian identity.
0: I know that in many of the post-Soviet nations and states that older populations have long romanticized the Soviet era. Uh, is that still true of younger Belarusians? Do they still pine for that era, or perhaps are they leaning more toward the West than their elders
1: well, I wouldn't say they're pining for the Soviet era because younger Belarusians, and younger people anywhere in the former Soviet Union, don't remember the Soviet Union. Uh, this is a generation that's come of age in, in an independent state, and so <clears throat> you know whatever they think about Lukashenko, whatever they think about Putin, um, they're used to to being citizens of, of a separate state, and I think that reality you know this is a state that's now um, existed independently since 1991 um, is 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 a reality and and very few people want to give that up um at the same time the older generation you know, people Lukashenko's age and and older and you know Lukashenko's not that old um, who did grow up in the Soviet Union um and don't have this this sense of belarusian Belarusianness I guess. Um that does actually that that identity that Belarusian identity does actually seem to be more strongly pronounced in the younger generation. you know you see more younger people deliberately um learning to speak Belarusian even if they don't speak it at home uh there's a a kind of cultural um awakening for for belarusian uh ethnic and cultural identity that that 's going on and is you know, much more associated with with younger people who grew up in independent Belarus than with um, uh, those who, whose formative experiences were in the Soviet Union.
0: You're listening to the Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about the fraying relationship between Belarus and Russia with Jeff Mankoff, deputy director and senior fellow with the Russia and Eurasia Program for the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Belarus does more trade with Russia than any other country, and you mentioned the subsidized oil and gas from Russia. Moscow has threatened to turn off the spigot. What would that do to Belarus, and does Belarus have an answer if that happens? Well, that's a big question in
1: all of this, because uh, Belarus has for so long found all of its eggs in the Russian basket That, um, you know, it would struggle if, uh, Russia decided that it wanted to change the terms of that agreement. Now, you know, there's some, um, wiggle room here, and in the last several weeks, um, Belarus has signed deals to, uh, import oil, uh, from other places, um, from Norway, from, uh, There's an agreement that was signed with Ukraine recently on on using a a pipeline that runs from Ukraine. So Belarus does have other options. Um, Most of them would be more expensive. Um, And since it's a a comparatively poor country and and one that does depend on a lot of Russian subsidies, you know, it's unclear uh, to what extent it could afford some of those other options. And so, you know, the, the danger, I think, is that Belarus, Lukashenko, or some other leader finds itself in a position where, uh, you know, it's forced to make political concessions to Russia in exchange for maintaining um, those economic subsidies, you know, whether that's transferring control of more critical infrastructure, uh, whether it's taking more steps towards the political integration of the kind that Russia was pushing at the end of last year, um, or something else.
0: The West has never been a fan of Lukashenko and his authoritarian rule of Belarus, but do you get any sense that maybe there's an opening for the West to deal with Lukashenko, or would he be willing to work more closely with the West?
1: Yeah, on both sides. As always, the devil's in the details. Um, you know, would would Lukashenko like to have um, a, a sort of European. Uh, path open for him, probably, but not at the cost of uh, changing the, the fundamental political model that he's uh, implemented. And and that's the problem, because what is on offer from the EU, you know, is, is really contingent on those kind of, of political reforms that might themselves uh, threaten Lukashenko's hold on power. Uh, there is scope for more economic and, and diplomatic engagement, so U.S. Secretary of State Pompeo uh, went to Belarus uh, a month or so ago, met with Lukashenko, um, which was clearly a sign of, of U.S. interest or, or support, um, and promised that the U.S. would supply uh, oil to, to Belarus, which is, you know, is great. But again, there, there's the questions about price. So there's interest um in the US in, in the capitals of Europe and certainly at Minsk in um helping Belarus uh diversify its options but um in terms of of the substance of what that would look like um it's always going to be limited as long as as Belarus's political model is is what it is under Lukashenko
0: Do you think Putin fears a popular uprising in Belarus, much like the one in Ukraine that forced out Mm -hmm. the Moscow-friendly government in Kiev?
1: Yeah, um, very much so. Um, What happened in Ukraine uh, was uh, a real setback for Russia in a a lot of ways. Uh, One, because it replaced a... uh, a relatively pliable, uh, government, uh, under Viktor Yanukovych with one that was much more, uh, hostile to Russia. And the subsequent conflict and, and annexation of Ukrainian territory really contributed to the consolidation of a, of a new national narrative in Ukraine that is, that is much more anti Russian than, than what was there before. Um, also, of course, um, the, the uprising in ukraine on the on the Maidan and the fall of of Yanukovych uh, is seen in, in Russia as a potential model for something similar that could happen in in moscow and of course, that is um, above all else what what putin and, and others in the Kremlin don 't want it's um, already happened in Ukraine um, if something similar were to happen in Belarus, uh, I think it would just reinforce those fears.
0: What kind of shape is the Belarusian military in? Does Minsk spend much of its budget on modernization and training? And how would it handle a potential fight with Russia?
1: I think the short answer is it would not fare particularly well in a fight with Russia. Um, But, you know, one could have said the same about the Ukrainian military in 2014, and it, it performed pretty badly at first. But under the exigencies of of war and facing a threat to national survival, um, the Ukrainian military got a lot better in a hurry.
0: And no doubt Russia's military is so much bigger than Belarus's military. Curious, though, could Putin afford a potential fight with Belarus when he's already got troops in Ukraine and in Syria?
1: It depends what one means by afford. Um, In terms of the the spending involved, yeah, probably. I mean, Russia's gotten pretty good at projecting power uh, at relatively low cost. Um, in terms of all the associated costs, from sanctions to uh, the threat of, of escalation and the deepening confrontation with the West, and um, the potential for further uh, domestic destabilization. I mean, all the, that's a that's a trickier. Um, question. You know, I I don't think that Russia particularly wants that right now. Um, If anything, there's more interest in Moscow at the moment in in trying to take steps to get sanctions uh, removed or at least um, moderated over the the Ukraine conflict. And so the worst thing to do under those circumstances would be to start another conflict in Europe. Um, Which, you know, isn't to say that if uh, something were to happen to Lukashenko or Uh, you know, if if NATO forces suddenly showed up in in Belarus, that, you know, Russia wouldn't decide that it had no choice. But um, I think as long as it feels it it does have a choice, that that's not the choice that it wants to make.
0: How would instability in Belarus affect NATO?
1: Um, It depends what type of instability we're talking about. If it's confined to Belarus's internal affairs. Um, <clears throat> I think NATO would watch it very closely. Would try and um, you know, reinforce the the borders between Belarus and and NATO members like Poland and Lithuania. Um, if there's a Russian role in it, <clears throat> if there's political instability in Belarus, there will almost certainly be some kind of Russian role. Um, then it's it's much diceier because. Um, there's a lot of concern in NATO, particularly um, <clears throat> among the countries on the eastern flank, like Poland and Lithuania, um, about um, Russia using Belarus as a, uh, a launching pad. Um, the NATO's ability to physically defend uh, those eastern flank countries, particularly the Baltic states, is is relatively limited um you know there are rotational forces there uh basically you know one brigade per country in in uh Poland and the three baltic states but um in the face of a, a large scale russian land invasion those those troops wouldn't be worth a lot. Um And of course, to do that, uh, Russia would most likely want to move uh, at least some of its forces across Belarusian territory. Uh, <clears throat> so you know, if there is a some kind of crisis in Belarus that leads to the introduction of of Russian forces even in relatively limited numbers, um, that would be a, a cause for for real alarm in NATO.
0: Jeff, do you think Lukashenko can hold off Russia for long? Is a union between the two countries inevitable?
1: Well, again, the devil's in the details because officially Belarus and Ukraine have a union state treaty. They have a union state um, based on a treaty that was signed in in 1999. Um, The practical uh, implications of that treaty are somewhat limited. Last year, when when Moscow really started mooting a push for integration, it did so under the uh, aegis of implementing the terms of that treaty, uh, which again has been in effect for for over twenty years at this point. Um, and you know, the Belarusians have have continued to uh, delay and and hem and haw and and one thing and another. Um, so you know, it looks like. There's going to be some push for uh, deeper economic integration on, on things like tax policy and and that sort of thing. And there's probably not a whole lot that Belarus can do to um, prevent that from happening. And, you know, honestly, Lukashenko's not averse to all of it. Um, but anything that you know smacks of, of political integration that looks like you know Belarus is. Um, is sacrificing its sovereignty is, is a much bigger um, uh, is a more sensitive issue uh, inside Belarus and I think uh, would be uh, fought much more um, assertively. The other thing, of course, is that when the Russians started raising this last year um, this idea of re- real political integration uh, it was unclear uh, how or what was going to happen within Russia in 2024 when uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, presidency is up? Um, one of the ideas being floated, and ironically, this is an idea that uh, one can trace back to Lukashenko uh, in the 90s, was to um, establish a, a presidency of the Union State. Uh, so, in addition to having a Russian president and a Belarusian president, you'd also have a Union State president. Um, and for some folks in Moscow, this seemed like an idea, um, to allow Putin to stay in power after 2024 without having to change the Russian constitution. Um, now at the beginning of the year, uh, when Putin gave his, uh, state of the nation address and announced, uh, this push for constitutional change, um, including, you know, changing the, the powers of the presidency and, and everything else, that to me seemed to be an indication that they'd given up on this idea of of, uh, using the union state as a vehicle for perpetuating uh, Putin's hold on power. Um, So now they're they're looking at other alternatives for that. So if that was the real driver, then, um, you know, I I don't think we're going to see quite as intensive a push for for unification in in the year or so to
0: come. It will certainly be interesting to see if Putin does make any moves anytime soon on Minsk. Jeff, Thank you so much for taking time to join us here on The Crisis Next Door.
1: Sure, yeah. Thanks again for having me.
0: We've been joined by Jeff Mankoff, Deputy Director and Senior Fellow with the Russia and Eurasia Program for the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com.